What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Welcome back to the show. It's your first time joining the show. Welcome to the show. Like it, subscribe, send it to a friend. Let everybody know what we got going on over here. It is a very fun time with a diverse palette of guests for you to enjoy, like our guest today, Kevin Pollack. Such an incredible actor, comedic mind, writer, poker player. This dude is phenomenal. I love Kevin. It was great to sit down with him and chat for a little while. Uh, if you want to see me, I'm back on the road in the fall with Bob. Me and Bobby Lear doing the Bad Friends Live where we do stand-up and then we do bits from the show. Uh, it isn't a live podcast. People ask that all the time. Uh, it's stand-up and bits from the show and interactive stuff with the audience. You're going to love it. Go to badfriendspod.com. Badfriendspod.com will be all over the place, including and not limited to Boston, Milwaukee, Chicago, Madison, D.C., uh, we are everywhere. Denver, we're bouncing around, babies. Come see us. Go to badfriendspod.com, badfriendspod.com to get those tickets. Enough rambling from me. Let's go to the episode. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. You were that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. Gingers are hell no. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Witcher Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I said it for all my guests, but I mean, once again, today, it's Kevin Pollack. Did you see how fast I did that? Too fast. No, it was really oh, good. I mean, your listeners heard it, but I didn't. Yeah, they heard it. They oh, know what it is. A few couple of dogs in Sherman Oaks just lifted their heads. <laughs> uh, Don't tell people our secret location. <laughs> I was going to say, we're you're, in at Van the, you're at the basin of the French Riviera of, that's the, right. of the Valley. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. We take pride, man. Valley boys for life. You're not a Valley boy? You don't like the Valley? Uh, well, you're obviously not originally from here. So, no. yeah. You can call yourself whatever you want. I'm, I'm West Side. Oh, you're a West, I'm a West Side, side jerk. But Mar Vista, which is like the Mar last Vista, yeah. holdout of people showing up at your house saying, okay, where the fuck am I? What is this? I like Mar Vista. I lived near it when I first moved to Los Angeles. I lived uh, Palms. Sure. National in the 10. Uh-huh. Real great neighborhood. Got robbed like four times, I think. Yeah. House so, got broken into. Car broken. Windows. Wow. Yeah. I have very peaceful street. No, Marvis is very nice. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a little, it's more upscale. And, and you deserve it. You've worked very hard. Very long. I don't know about very hard. Did I say long? You said hard. You've worked very hard. Hey, man. I'm going to correct you and say very long. You're long and hard. From <laughs> what I hear. That's what Hollywood says. <laughs> Sorry, this podcast is taking a long time to kind of get going. You guys, the writer's sure. strike has really affected us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we usually have 15, 16 writers in here. Uh-huh. Just jamming away at the pod. I'm supposed to have a meeting. Mm. Uh, and, of course, I called my agent and said, I'm not going to go to a meeting during the writer's strike. Do we, are we, is this a joke? Right. And then he yelled at his assistant, like, why did we not? Tell him that. I was wow. like, what is going on? Pay less attention. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to go. My first. Imagine me driving through the lot, driving right through the middle of everyone picketing. Like, guys, excuse me, I have a, I have a meeting what, I have to go was to. Was it a meeting for you as a writer or an actor? It's it's non It was just kind of a big, oh general, general meeting. Kind of it's a it's a more, fan for an actor as an actor as an yeah, actor a fan a, a fan at a position of power. But one. it still feels yucky. Sure, there's something about it. No, you like, don't go. You I don't can't go. do that. No, That's insane. No. I mean, I'm about to start two films, but only because the scripts are locked. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. <laughs> okay, good. You're about to start two films. Uh, longest amount of time you've gone without working, by the way. Uh, when will this drop? 
I like to hold these for about a year or two. Uh-huh. Okay. This will drop in a couple of weeks. Couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, I forgot to ask before we started. I had a very specific reason for asking that question, but it'll be at least two weeks, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. We can be as long as you want. No, no, no. Two weeks is actually perfect. Two okay, weeks good. from this day. Okay. Wonderful. Is perfect. Okay. Uh, uh, watch all, which we'll talk about later. Um, the longest I've gone without working. Well, as my uh, better half will tell you, been together 15 years, engaged for probably eight years, no designs whatsoever from either one of us to get married. We're not procreators. I'll stop talking now. Why uh, did you do the engagement if you're not going to pull Just that to make my trigger? intentions known I after like it. a handful of years. And it. also girlfriend felt like old after five years. And then, and then immediately my fiance was stupid because we have because no, everyone immediately wants to know when you're getting married. So that's got to stop. Fiance is very stupid. Yeah. And then it becomes a better half. And then, you know, the assumption is that I'm with a man. Why don't you say what the kids say? What do the kids say? Partner. My the, partner. That's the, actually the most like, uh, what do they say? The most like. Uh, non-binary? Yeah. It's like the most non, non, Fluid, uh, non, uh, non-restrictive term. Sure, yeah. Sure. Like it's partner. It can be whatever it is. It's my partner. Yeah. We in, out in public say wife, husband, just to shut people up with the questions. Cause you don't want to deal with it. Nonsense. No. Yeah. Don't want to have a conversation. Yeah. No. It, it, it does drag. <sighs> so I, <laughs> this has been fun. So Why, what was the question? So your better half, <laughs> your better half, how, when was long as that you went oh, she, So she would, I always, and to this day says he was very big in the nineties. So what happened was as a stand-up comedian first, yeah. after a few good men, and I crossed the goal line and was getting offers instead of having to audition because I was Rose Waldo in that cast, um, uh, the only one people got to discover, basically, even though I'd done a handful of films, died in Denzel's arms, spoiler alert, ricochet. But, um, you know, when you get offers as a stand-up comedian, the answer is yes. Where? Where's yeah, the stage? how do I do it? So I just said yes to the first 40, Yeah, literally, six of which are quite good. That I did in the 90s. So two of my favorite films that you're in. You Starting know? with. This is the first time we've ever met, and I want to say this. I don't want to fanboy out, but I got to tell you something. <laughs> well, I'm going to fanboy out on you, too, because we can't get enough of I, But I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. I have, as a kid, my best friend and I would watch a, a, like a chunk of movies on repeat to like an annoying degree where my parents would be like, why are you watching that again? What age? Uh, young, a young teen, like, you know, 13, 14, that was like the kind of the beginning of our, like, sure. get, uh, becoming cinephiles, like wanting to watch things obsessively and quote lines to each other and yeah. talk about like, and he wasn't even interested in the business. I was, but he just loved film. Yeah. Um, but grumpy old men, sure. quite honestly, as a comedian too, was one of those, one of those movies where I was like, it's everything I want a movie to be. Yes. It's hilarious. It's sweet. It's got a great little bow on it. Never it's, sappy, really. I just love, I just, it was so good. It was, it just, it didn't cross the edge of like corny. It was always yeah. really, it's just the heart was so wonderful. Yeah. And also Casino, but we'll talk about that in a second. But, but Grumpy Old Men to me was such an important film as a kid. What a sweet. Because they were such great comedians. Yeah, Mount Rushmore. And my dad Mount would Rushmore. talk about them like they were mega gods because our age, I knew Eddie Murphy and you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, so, and he was like, he's like, these guys, he's like, you want to talk about guys that are lightning fast upstairs. He's like, look at how old they are. They're still just like, their timing was, was unreal. It was bonkers. Also, they lived together while shooting the movie. So, uh, we were shooting in Minneapolis, St. Paul, their reps called ahead to find out where's the best suite for my boy to stay in. Right. They found out that there was one the best suite in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. So the agents are back and forth, back and forth. 
Walter and Jack eventually find out about this bickering and say, well, tell us about this room. It turns out there was another master bedroom at the other end of this giant suite. And they said, kick open the door. We'll fucking share the, because there's a grand piano, there's a bar, there's right. a kitchen, there's a thing. So the odd couple lived together while we were shooting. What? Exactly. And then they would invite us, a few of us up to every now and then, you know, you'd walk in, Jack's playing the piano and you just instantly stop in your place and defecate because you can't believe what's <laughs> happening. Your mind is blown. Also for me, a wannabe character actor, these two guys had perfect careers. They were character actors first and foremost yeah. who got to be movie stars and got to do the most intense drama and the re most ridiculous comedy also within the same career, which just doesn't really happen, especially now. So I'm around Mount Rushmore and, and they're just lovely and, and extraordinary. Did they ever fuck with you? Because uh, those guys, I feel like they were they always... They fucked with each other for real, uh, hilariously. And um, Walter, one of the most intelligent people I will ever meet, loved to shock people with the with the dirty mouth. Yeah. Um, instantly canceled, of course, now. But we shot that, what, the mid-90s, I guess? So you could kind of say anything. Yeah. But he, um, yeah, he was... He just loved to shock people. Um, when we... Gosh, when we did the sequel... Do I get canceled for telling his stories? No. Okay. Uh, when we did the sequel, uh, geniusely titled Grumpier mm -hmm. Old Men, Think Tank from Mensa worked a while on that. A <laughs> uh, couple of NASA grads came over and said, sure. we got it. <laughs> think, we got let it. Let us pitch. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, first thing that happens is a table read. They're going to bring everybody back together for a table read. Walter's in New York doing uh, My Name is Not Rappaport on Broadway. So they fly... The mountain moves to Muhammad. We all get on the private Warner's jet. And um, there's Sophia Loren, who hadn't been in a movie in 25 years. Uh, part of my childhood as the sexiest woman alive. So everyone on the plane is on eggshells. No one's talking to Ms. Loren. No one's talking to each other. Nobody wants to say the wrong thing mm -hmm. in front of Ms. Loren, <laughs> who at 65 looked like the most uh, gorgeous person who had ever lived. Uh, so we arrive at the hotel. They take us into a, a room. Table, waiting for Walter. Of course, we go to him, and he's the last of the show. And he walks in, still silent, eggshells everywhere, walks right up to Sophia, having never met in either their lives or careers, and says, great to meet you, love to eat you. <laughs> First thing out of his mouth. Did you guys lose Opening it? salvo. Every chin hits the, the table. I would have lost my shit. Every chin hits the table. <laughs> It's shock first. It's amazing. And then she says, oh, Walter, with her hand waving at him. And he's, while everyone's now in hysterics because she was cool, every, and then he says, I'm not kidding. Everybody else clear out. <laughs> yeah. So he was all about that all the time. I feel like because I have so many questions about it, too. Like, was Burgess dirty? Was he always dirty or no? Because um, they sling him a bunch of those outtakes. And my friend and I literally, we memorized those. Well, half of them mine. Yours? Because the director knew. He said, Kevin, when we get to this thing, I need you to throw out some for him to say. Because they're all, you know, whether childhood limerick nonsense right. or, you know. We repeat that all the time, my friend. And my friend Sean and I would say it to each other when we call each other on the phone. Skin Boat to Tuna Town. Skin Boat to Tuna mine. Town is one of my absolute <laughs> favorite. Also, the, the simplicity of looks like Chuck's going to bury his boner is so funny. <laughs> yeah. It got me every time. It's pure. Because it's so simple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just... I feel like... Uh, Take a ride in the wild baloney pony. Baloney pony, yeah. yeah. I feel like everybody in my mind when I was watching the film as a wannabe comedian of, of 14, 15, I thought, 
this is the absolute dream come true, working with other comedic minds to make this movie. Yeah. Also, that, Buck Henry. I oh, mean, my God. The fucking cast was insane. And Anne Margaret, for me, also fantasy-wise as a kid. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Just. And and couldn't have been more lovely. And Were the boys, did the boys ever feel like the boys? Did, did well, Jack and Walter. Yeah, did they ever feel, because they always feel, they have this, like, timelessness to them that does feel like their youth, their personified youth forever. Yeah. And they're like kids. And so, to me, I always wondered, were they competitive about their characters, love interests off screen. Like, were they? No. No, they didn't no. do that at all. No. Walter barely cared. Really? First time I met him, I walked up to him. The director said, hey, nice to meet you. And, and Walter's standing there. He said, Walter, this is Kevin Pollack. He's playing your son on the on the film. And then the director says, I got to go check on the lights. And he just walks away, leaving me alone with, honestly, one of the faces on Mount Rushmore. I just shit myself again. And uh, now I'm standing there and he's just, you know, he has the face of a, basset hound yeah. from birth uh, yeah. <laughs> and i i don't know what to say and and i foolishly say attempt to make small talk asshole move so walter uh script's pretty good huh? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not he says he just looked at me without a smile and said script sucks kid i owe my bookie two million <laughs> and he wasn't kidding he was being matter of fact he wasn't even trying to make me laugh was he always tanking like that was he a oh big at gambler? his memorial service on the back of the program where his picks were that Sunday. <laughs> oh, no kidding. He had a serious fucking problem. Wait, do you, did he, did he, is he one of these gentlemen that unfortunately died upside down? Did he die broke? No, 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 no. Because you read those stories. Like Ed McMahon, I heard, they, they had to like sell his house because the estate oh, was. God, it's happened to so many. But you're like, didn't you make a hundred million dollars? Well, no, back, you know, I mean. Where did it go? Yeah. Yeah. Those guys, Ed McMahon and those guys were making absurd amounts of money. For the day especially. And I remember hearing Ed McMahon, who would like to have a few at lunch. Oh, yeah. Got it into one of his renegotiations to have a limousine 24-7 for the rest of his life. You know, I've heard this story. And I've, the version I've heard was because he would drive drunk and the studio yeah. was like, he if, if he kills somebody, we're liable. <laughs> so they're like, get his ass home every day. Yeah. Because he would black out. Yeah. Which is Unbelievable. I mean, yes. can you imagine pitching that today? They're yeah. like, look, we've got Matt Damon. We've got Affleck. Well, we have to get Andy Dick a car everywhere because <laughs> we can't be liable for this. Yeah. It just, it, 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 to me, it's, yeah. So back up a little bit. Yeah. So Matthew owed $2 million. $2 million uh, bucks. Uh, but but um, a guy like that probably did have $100 million. Yeah. He just, he, that's just the way he And you got to feel something. I don't know if you're a gambler at all. I no just, matter I where. I played you- cards last night. For uh, a whim? I was, in, I was in Arizona playing cards last night. As in you do this all the time? No. I oh. was just, when I'm on tour, if I'm near a casino, I always go to a casino. I have a weekly cash game. I don't know why you're not involved. Well, you're a big poker guy. No, no, no. Well, I am, but uh, that doesn't mean anything. You'll the, drown me. You the guys game's kind of small ball so okay. that my friend, nobody gets hurt. Okay. We'll talk about it okay, off, great. off, off yeah. mic. No, but I like to go. I'm a sucker for, I'm a sucker for going to have a little bit of fun. One, three, five. Two five. What table are you playing? Two five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you'll fit right in. Okay, great. Yeah. The blinds great. are five five. Okay, perfect. Nobody gets hurt. Okay, good. Yeah, it's the whole point. We just gather. It's catered. There's the masseuse. There's a regular dealer. We're just fucking off. The cater and the masseuse and the dealer are all the same person. <laughs> it's an overwhelming gig you bestowed upon somebody. <laughs> but he is awesome. Rub me, flip me, feed me, hit me, baby, go. Uh, so, so yeah, um, he yeah he loved to gamble. He told me a story that he and um, Fred Astaire would go uh, to, to the ponies. They'd go to Hollywood Park and sometimes down to Los Alamitos. 
and they would always sit and watch the ponies and bet on the ponies. And he could never get Fred Astaire to swear. And Walter swore like he was going to win money if he didn't stop. (laughs) Uh, But he just couldn't. And it was like really, really annoyance for him that actually ran deep that he could never get Fred to swear. Was was Fred Astaire really like a, a like a, a hardcore Christian guy or something? No, just super proper. Yeah. Uh, as was the day that he came from, you know. Sure. The, those those movies, those guys with the middle Atlantic accent were were pretty buttoned down. They dare not say anything they shouldn't say. That's right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh after I think he said 20 years of going to watch the ponies together. He, he there's a manila envelope uh, delivered to his house. He opens it up. It's a cassette tape, says, play me, puts it in. And it's Fred Astaire calling a race from the beginning. And every horse's name is a worse swear word after another. Uh, and he calls the whole race, having named maybe seven horses with the worst swear words, most disgusting. And he calls the whole race. Wow. Yeah. And then I said, <laughs> you got to let me hear that. Not a chance, kid. It's in a vault. Uh, That's locked away forever, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know what happened to it. Put but that thing in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something, man. Somewhere. Put it in some of the museum, Smithsonian or yeah. something like... The Academy Museum. People would just... I mean, that, that kind of stuff... He was giving me a couple of uh, uh, horse names, and it really, truly was disgusting. Purposely to... Can you name After a few? 20 well, years... We can beep it out. Probably be tamed by today's standards. Right. The word was used a lot, for sure. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, but... Uh, Fat tits McGillicuddy rounding third. It's stuff like that. Yeah. Like it wasn't abs- like today. A- abscessed on tits though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right, yeah. He went out of his way to try to be disgusting. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing sweet and endearing about yeah, any yeah. of these horses. But Fred Astaire cussing is probably And incredible. calling the entire race. That was a thing. He just, he just didn't stop. Wow. It was enough to just name all the horses. Yeah. He went right to the wire. He, he went for it. By a nose. And how was Lemon? Uh, lovely, darling. Every story he or, or Walter would tell, there was a, f- a ridiculously famous person involved. You know, like, if, if I'm if going to tell stories, there's going to be some names dropped because I've been insanely lucky to work with a lot of famous people. But they were, you know, so Walter would, first time I was doing off-camera lines with him. He said, kid, kid, I, you don't mind doing the off-camera? No, I, I don't mind. All right, okay. Because just Marilyn hated it. And I thought, he's talking about Marilyn Monroe. Jesus. Exactly. And again, not trying to impress anybody. No, he's just that's how he's speaking. That's his memory. That's the world he knows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's Every, not gonna he's not gonna pretend to be like, oh <clears throat> just a couple of local theater guys that you know, no, no, no. Yeah. Yes. No, that's not who he's working with. Yeah. Yes. He has that he has that ability, by the way, that I always loved about comedic actors. Um you do it extremely well too. And I hate to group you in because I don't want to compliment you more than twice. I did say I would stop at some point. But uh-huh. to take your to take your face and do a turn from, uh, mm-hmm. it's almost like you, it's almost like uh, joy to heartbreak within like a half a second. And I, I don't know why comedians, I'm biased, but do it better than anybody I've ever seen because I think we know a pain that sometimes. But also we studied. Yeah. We studied great comedic actors on yeah. film, period. I think that's where I learned to act. And I think doing the impression certainly taught me how to build a character from the shoes, but I think we studied the greats, the moves, the gestures. One of the things Matthew Perry, when we worked together, could always do was the entire uh, blackboard Michael Keaton speech in Night Shift, breaking down the word prostitute. Uh huh. Um, he would do that? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah, because we studied. I, I just worked with Michael Keaton and told him that and how 
If you were a stand-up comedian when 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 Night Shift came out, when you were a stand-up comedian at that point, and you were thinking about acting in movies, you watch a movie and you go, "Oh, okay, that's what you do," because uh-huh. he had also done stand-up. Well, he was. I mean, I know he's you know he's still got his name in lights. At, at the, the comedy, comedy store, store yeah. people that don't know Michael Keaton, uh, some of the younger people may only know him in the more recent Birdman, but like or Batman. Well, the newest Batman again. Yeah, he's, he's getting, getting a lot of play from that. Yeah, he's getting a lot of play from that's that. That's wild. He was my favorite Batman. I hate to say it. I know people. That's but he was also a comedic acting giant, and he he would he would say that who he studied, who he watched on film, and Jack Lemmon was one of them, and right. Um, but you can tell that we all are a little monkey see monkey do comics have that. If you're a comedic actor, you can kind of tell that we peel from something else and I'll be upfront about it. There's guys that I just inherently will steal from because I love it and I try to mimic it. Well, a riff comes to mind and you don't even stop to think, where did this come from? Right. But you know, even Woody Allen said his, all of his early stuff, he was lifting from Bob Hope, the whole, yes, well, (laughs) complete lift from Bob Hope. Right. Just, I'm taking this now. But you also studied so much like, uh. A friend of mine said, you got to, like, his Alan Arkin is just <laughs> stunning. Yeah, well, Alan Arkin and Peter Falk together did The In-Laws, which is, for my money, the funny, yeah. funniest comedy of all time. But you studied a lot. Well, what it is, it's, an, it's a comedy acting clinic, that film, because the nuances, when those two are together, they're just crazy. The scene in the diner when uh, he, I lose my shit completely. I had Arkin on the old chat show, and it's I asked so him. It's so good. It's I, so <laughs> subtle. It's unbelievable. The well, way your tongue moves sounds like his tongue. That's absurd. I only like the nuance of doing an impression. I yeah. don't. It's it's so pedestrian to do Christopher Walken, for example. Well, everybody does that. If you or, yeah. if you Google Christopher Walken, sometime over thirty thousand search answers come up. That's how pedestrian it is. There are five pages dedicated to Asians doing Christopher Walken on YouTube. Right. And they're fucking hilarious. We own those pages, by the way. All my right. company, yeah. We're All making right. money on that. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you fucking are. You if there's wish. an Asian doing an impression, it's you, under our umbrella, pal. You, you wish. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, you're not going to see that lengthy of a search uh, with Alan Arkin. No. But it is always, even when doing Christopher Walken, I, I'm only interested in the nuance of conversational Christopher Walken. I'm not... Okay, this can be funny. Right. Oh God, I want to vomit. Yeah, just. No. But still, when I sit here and I look at the golf clubs, the way they sit there, mocking me, it's troublesome. That's what it is. Troublesome. I'm only interested in the whispers. Yes, I like that. The right? simplicity. I love that. Yeah. I was never good at impressions like that. I could copy people, not famous people, for but, some reason. But you, you were. I was just exaggerating this sort of lift. Of, it, of the timing of comedic performance. You do a turn in the last episode of the most recent episode of Dave of this recording, which is, uh, uh, what do we call that? Uh, sex dance. What do you mean? When you break it, breaking it, B and E on, uh, Oh, Oh, oh consensual, non-consensual is what there we call we it on the show. Yeah. 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 So you do a turn in that. Yeah. That's <laughs> spot on ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah. From <laughs> Holy fuck. I got to get out of here too. Wait a second. You know, just, I'll tell you, and I'll it, tell you, you want to know why I peel when I do stuff like that from every single time it's, I always like it was like, um, the way Stiller acted in something about Mary with her, I was always so fucking funny to me oh, great. because he was like on the brink of total psychopath, Yes, but also super endearing and like very lovable. So 
I always, when I read stuff, scenes like that, I always think about those kind of movies that I love that were like these comedic love scenes that were kind of wacky, but sweet, but is everything okay? Because in, in that, I'm not, we're not, the episode's out, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, the whole point is I'm so vulnerable to, she's like, yeah, just ruin me. (laughs) That's what she, we did like 19 different takes in the office. And the first one was the R word, which obviously was never going to make it. Right. She said, why don't you come over and yeah. Yeah. And then after that, you know, the director came back in and was like, Santino, throw me 50 words that she can say that because we're never going to clear that. Nope. So I said, you know, annihilate, ruin, destroy, peel apart, you know, and she was going over and over and over. And as she was saying it, I was thinking, man, she's selling the fuck out of this. She, she's a great actor. And I was like, in, in, on the day, the same thing. She played it the same way where it was like, just beat the shit out of me. She did that one take and I, I broke. Cause I was like, that's funny to, <laughs> yes. that a girl was like, fucking throw me through a table. And yeah, you're like, yeah. no, I'm not. Yeah. but that, but those kind of turns, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I steal it. I peel it from something else. Cause like you, I've said it maybe a few times. I've never taken, I've never taken a class. Yeah. I'm not proud of it. it just me neither. Actually, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. It's funny. That's why I don't talk about it much because, yeah. um, I signed up for one and I no shit. I uh, went and people were loading in, you know, like they were waiting outside and I was so intimidated looking at the humans loading in for no other reason than I just was vulnerable and I fucking turned around and went right home. Well, if I'm completely honest, I would, I would add a fear of rejection to my reasons for not wanting to take a class. Yeah. I didn't want to look stupid. I didn't want to be these other people. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to hear some kid be like, oh, I was at Steppenwolf and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I went to Arizona state. I was a fucking bum. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I was a bum. You know, I was a a bum that loved comedy that just had a, enough nickels to make it out here. So I was like, sure. I, I don't belong in this. These yeah. guys are real theater people to me. I remember I, my, the improv was my room, not the comedy store, but, uh, well, cause back then that was the room. Yeah. They, they ebb and flow. You know? No, no. But then that was the hottest place in the world. 83. I feel like in the, in the eighties, yeah. the improv was it. Even yeah. at the improv, well, like what bud put together. Just... Well, I was, came out of San Francisco stand up with late seventies, early eighties and every big, time who came through that I opened up for said, you're wonderful. When you come to LA, I'll, I'll help you get stage time with Bud at the, at the improv. And they did. And I, I, you know, did you have a relationship with Robin or no? Oh yeah. Cause he yeah, was yeah. a San Francisco. No, guy. we're very tight. And he was in one of my HBO specials in a really funny uh, way. And, uh, yeah, we were, we were, we were, we were good friends. Yeah. Um, so uh, coming from San Francisco, you know, uh, with the dream of being an actor, but but <laughs> no wherewithal to actually work it, study. Um, Dana Carvey was someone I came up with out of San Francisco who had come out a year before me. And so he said, you just have to learn to audition, you know. You don't really have to learn how to act. You just have to learn how to how to kill it that in is the, very the audition. That's, that's just as big of a, of a function of it. Well, when you're a complete unknown, that's that's everything. If, if If TV and film is your thing, if theater, then it's a whole other experience. So anyways, this woman saw me at the improv do stand-up one night and afterwards said, I'm a manager and I think you could be an actor. Do you have any hopes? Yes, I do. Come to my office. Well, let's see what you got. I go to her office. She gives me a scene, sides, go out in the outer office, memorize this as much as you can. Don't worry about getting completely off the page, but okay, great. I, I look at it. I think I got it. I think I understand it. I'd not been on any auditions yet. This is spanky new. And I come out and I do what I think is all I'm capable of at that point. And I finish and she looks at me and I'm immediately reading into her expression, which is she's going to take me to show business. Yeah. She's going to open up a back door and there's a bunch of people waiting. 
that are going to welcome me with laughter and joy. <laughs> He's here! <laughs> yeah. And, and through that staring expression, instead of that, she says, well, listen, you know, you're, you're a really good stand-up and um, acting's not for everyone. So. <laughs> but, you know, she wasn't, she's just being matter of fact. Hey, let's call her right now. <laughs> well, I think. Where uh, are you at now, Marlene? Huh? <laughs> What uh, what CVS are you working at, Marlene? I gave up on that necessity a long time ago. Yeah. I just kept working. Yeah, that's well, that's the best way to pay back those kind of things. It's like, okay. But it was a great eye-opener at a very, very important time that told me, you're nowhere near ready for any of this. You better right. learn how to audition, as your friend Dana suggested, and that's what happened. So it was a valuable I, lesson. Then, uh, then I went on hundreds of auditions, by the way, before I got anything. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. No exaggeration. Hundreds. How did you land Casino? Casino I, being my literal favorite movie of all time. Oh, wow. Truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if it comes up before Goodfellas, it lands as Marty's masterpiece. But I think it's it, there, There's only yeah. one thing that bothers me about it. Do you know the scene? Uh, Everybody jokes about it. Golly. I What's the one visual thing that you're like, ah, fuck, that looks, I don't like that. <laughs> you don't know? Eyeball popping? No, actually. No, not bad. I don't know. The car. The bomb in the car. You see the dummy swap. Oh, 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 yeah. Sure. I hate it. Sure. Well, it's 1994. I know, but it's like, he's so smart. Why wouldn't you shoot that in a way where you barely see it? It's all in post, and it was the best they had in 1994. I got to call him. I owe him a call to fix some of that stuff. Good for you. He's (laughs) waiting in my car. (laughs) Yes, so you keep him in the car? (laughs) Marty's just sitting in the front seat? Yeah. Where are we going? Yeah. No, I, it's, I mean, the, the movie is, and uh, my editor's got to blank this out, but my favorite, my favorite scene by a landslide is when he's like, do you know, he, you know, he insulted Billy. He called me, a f- he told me to go fuck myself. Yeah. The way he goes, do you call my friend a f-? Yeah. You told him to go fuck himself? Yeah. The way he does it when he beats him with the phone, I could watch a thousand times. And on a plane, I've watched it on my iPad and been to my wife like, and she's like, I know. She's like, she knows how much I like it. And I'm like, it's so good. It's so, good. It's so yeah. good and powerful in that structure. That's that's crazy. Anyway, tell me how you got Casino. We'll, we can it's obnoxious. More. Tell me what they just called you. And Marty was like, you're in. It's worse. It's mm. more obnoxious than mm. that. Yeah. I'm on the set of Usual Suspects, and my agent calls and says, you've Phenomenal, been, by the way. You've been offered Martin Scorsese's next film that takes place in Vegas, written by Nick Pelleggi, who wrote Goodfellas. And I said, you can stop talking. Fuck. The answer is yes. He said, well. Um, well, they want to pay you $50 million. No, nothing. <laughs> no. Nothing. No, nothing. Yeah, coffee and donuts. I mean, it's all relative. It's, it's a lot of money, but it was not. No, no, no. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. So, but he says, the ritual with Marty as you'll be forced to call him, and Bob, go fuck yourself, never called either one of them those names. Yeah, Mr. Scorsese, oh, probably. Me. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing with Marty and Bob is you have to uh, have a sit with each of them separately. Uh, it's just a ritual if you're in the main cast and you're not uh, Sharon Stone. I said, okay, yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. But is it an audition? No, no, just just go sit. You'd have a little sit with each of them. It's nothing. I said, oh, so they just want to make sure I'm not an asshole and I'm not going to be a sycophant, uh, Chris, sounds, Chris sounds Farley's right. character in that Saturday Night Live sketch. Right, right. right. So I said- You remember, I, remember I, when you- yeah. Remember? Yeah. yeah. I said, I can do that. I can, I can withhold from my real feeling. So uh, the first meeting is with De Niro. It's in a bungalow at the Bel Air Hotel. 
which is a sprawling series of uh, bungalows in the foothills of uh, Bel Air, one of the richest communities in the world. And I, uh, I get out of my car and I'm, and I'm met in the lobby by Don Rickles, who also has to have a set with De Niro and the casting director, Ellen Lewis. And she says, okay, I'm going to walk you into, uh, I'm going to go check to see if he's ready. And I'm going to walk you to the bungalow and, uh, you know, basically don't say anything. <laughs> he really, I said, oh, I'm not going to speak. <laughs> Sit and stare, kid. Oh, I'm not going to speak. But now yeah. I'm, I'm in full uh, face and hair of the usual suspects, which is a lot of facial hair, yeah. unkept, uh, ridiculous hair. Nothing like back in the 90s when I had hair. Nothing like the Mr. Impeccable who I'm going to play in Casino. Right. So I was so fucking stupid. I brought an 8 by 10 of myself to show I don't normally look like this. And I was going to hold it in front of my face when he opened the, when he opened the this door. This is me normally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how intimidated I am. And then I thought, wait a minute. Didn't your agent say, don't fuck this up? Yeah. Yeah. So I left the picture in the car. Smart. So Ellen says, let me go check. And then I sit with Rickles and Rickles tells me that, by the way, the most enjoyable part of the whole experience by a million miles was done. is hanging out with Rickles. Yeah. The two Jew comics on the set just, oh, fuck. He's the hero for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he tells me during this sit that he knows he owns De Niro. What do you mean? No, no, he tells me. Uh, when De Niro grew up, he was part of the doo-wop group, a uh, peer group on the street corners of New York. And uh, it was a put-down group or a, or a doo-wop group. Sorry, he was in the put-down group. Demir De Niro was in the put-down group. Your mother this, your mother that. Uh. I think they called it running the numbers, a couple of different names for it. But to those guys in that corner, that peer group, Rickles was in fact God. Yeah. And Rickles tells me he knows this about De Niro, that he worships him. And Rickles says, you are not going to believe how I'm going to demolish this guy on the set. And I'm, I don't know if he's saying this to make me laugh. Yeah, well, it's but working. It's, it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I can't wait as long as I don't fuck up this, these two sets. So Alan comes back, walks me this long, woodsy, uh, uh, sleepy hollow pathway to the bungalow. And I guess Bob had, was in between films and had been for quite a while. Yeah. Because the door opens and I'm looking at uh, Mr. Burns from the Howard Hughes episode. Uh, I said, hop in. Um, I don't know if you're a Simpsons fan. I am. But that's a reference for a lot I of got people. it. Yeah. So the the flowing beard, the crazy hair, I don't know about urine and jars and whatnot, but he's let himself go. And every drape inside this uh, $6 million a day bungalow is closed. It's a fucking tomb. And I'm worried about what I look like. So... Uh, he just, you know, sort of waves at me to come in, and then he walks back into the room, and Ellen smiles at me, you know, eyes wide open. Is it in shambles like he's been boozing? It's too dark and, to know. It's too you, dark to know. Right. I can't see really anything. Something happened in there. <laughs> no, not boozing. Just, uh, and, and he was sober as a church mouse, but he, but it just had physically let himself go. Was not interested in, yeah, be, things were, in being kept for anyone. Sure. And I don't know why to this day. Never yeah. asked. Wasn't my business. Leave, yeah. the, leave the man alone. Yeah. So- as we're getting to the chairs that are seated across from each other inside one of the rooms of this sprawling bungalow that I can barely see, he says, can I get you anything? You need anything? I said, no, I, uh, thank you. Thank you. No, I'm okay. All right. All right. We'll have a sit. Okay. And I sit down and as we sit and he says, okay, so uh, sure I can't get you anything? No, I'm fine, sir. Thank you. No. All right. Just want to make sure because uh, 
I just want to say hello, see how you doing. How you doing? I said, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, uh, you need anything, really? Nope. Honestly, I could order a sandwich and get you a thing. Nope. Thank you very much. I, uh, I don't need anything. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I just want to meet, say hello. That, what I just shared, happened about four more times, changing very little each time. Same thing. You need anything? Before I was allowed to leave. <laughs> but that was the complete context of the experience. Yeah. Nothing varied. Nothing changed. He just kept saying, uh, either, I just wanted to say hello, or can I get you anything? You're sure I can't get you anything. That was it. With pauses in between, long pauses, where I did not feel the, the, the dead air. No, you let it I sit. was not there to speak. Do you imagine that that was a tactic by De Niro to see uh, if you would... I was convinced at the time. I still yeah. have no idea because I never asked him about it later. My gut says yes. Yeah, my gut at the time was 100%. Yeah, don't fill any of this in. Because he's testing you to see. He's giving know. me every opportunity to be an asshole. Yeah. And also. To try to be funny, to try to entertain him. Right. Maybe he heard I did impressions. I'm going to mock him. You know, he's and waiting for I think for he anything. wants to feel you as mm -hmm. a guy to go, okay, look. I'm going to be this big dick guy in this movie. Yeah. This guy's going to be this guy. I puppet around rudely. Right. How does this act and how do I, how does he feel when I talk to him like a regular guy, but I let him sit with things? I think he wanted to check to see if you were going to, you know, get vulnerable or get moody or, you know, kind of jump the gun a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I wondered during and ever since coming up on 30 years, um, could I have said a little bit more? No. <laughs> I don't think you should have. I think it worked great. Not even to be charming, but just to be a person. Sure. Because I, I do look back on my uh, part of the experience. What he was looking at was not terribly impressive. Other than, okay, this guy's just minding his P's and Q's. And he's not taking any chances, and I have to respect that. I think he probably liked you for it. Well. I think we'd have a different he, movie if, he didn't if you went in down. that room and said some dumb shit. Well, you, yeah. You'd no, have it's, been somebody, it's somebody else. else. Sure. Yeah. So then I left and uh, she said, how'd it go? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> and I meant it. She said, he basically said, have a said, can I get you anything? And I just wanted to say hello six times. And I said, yeah. She said, and that's pretty much it. And I said, great. She's like, she you said, hit a did you run. say anything each time? I said, no, I didn't. I responded politely. I'm fine. And she said, perfect. Let's go. Perfect. And we went back to the lobby. I said goodbye to Don. He said, what can you tell me? Anything happened? I said, just be yourself, Don. No one's going to tell you what to do in any room. Right. And I have no idea to this day what he did in his sit down. But I can again, only imagine. They never worshipped him, so he, he could have done anything. You want to open a window, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. How about a drape? Air <laughs> uh, it out in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't give anything for that recording. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because he would go after De Niro on set in front of everyone. Right, so w during, d I feel like I've heard this before, that yeah. he was shitting on people all the time anyway, but especially on Casino, because quite well, frankly, he doesn't, people don't, I don't think people know. He didn't care. He, yeah, he didn't give a shit about he, them. Uh, he, also, he knows this guy that worshipped him right. as a kid, and he wants to enjoy that. His experience is going to be most enjoyed by giving shit to this arguably greatest actor of his generation and having him weep in tears with laughter. Mm -hmm. That's Don's version of it was fun. I had a good time. That's the win. And that's what happened. I, I heard Pesci, a rumor on that... the other hand, not so much. Why? Did not enjoy it. Did not enjoy the ribbing. Oh, didn't want Rick to Did Rickles not have a sense shit. of humor about it at all. Oh. Especially didn't appreciate when uh, Rickles pointed out that Joe was so short, he was going to ride him around the set like a Shetland pony. Now, he did this in front of 200 extras at the, <laughs> on the wedding scene. And I, I laughed. A lot of people laughed. And Pesci 
you know. Now I get it. I get it. I'm a midget and you're a genius. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and he was pissed all the way back to his trailer, mumbling to him, that you prick cocksucker, fuck him. I said, hey, Joe, you just fuck. Yeah, you were another one. The two of you go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much of that you can air, but. Um, no, it's great. But yeah, he did not appreciate it. In here, we pour whiskey. Whiskey. This episode of Whiskey Ginger is brought to you by BetterHelp. I've spoken so much about BetterHelp on this show, and that's because I am a big believer in therapy. And speaking to someone, uh, no matter what you're going through in life, turns out a lot of us are going through something. Why not give it a try? My favorite thing about BetterHelp truly is it's cheaper than in-person therapy, uh, which costs you money and time because you got to drive somewhere, find parking, Uh, And then you got to go wait in a waiting room with a bunch of other people. And sometimes you want just a little bit more quiet time for yourself, a little bit more intimacy with the person that you're speaking to. And what better place to do it than the comfort of your own home, which is what I love because I like sitting on my couch and speaking to a therapist instead of going to a location. Uh, It's helped me through a lot of weird, tough times. And I like to do it when I'm on the road uh, because I'm traveling around and I have no home base When I'm on the road, I feel a little bit loose and disconnected, and BetterHelp is one of those things where I feel a little bit more at ease when I get to talk to somebody. If you're thinking about starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely done online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map, my friends, with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash whiskey today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash whiskey. This episode of Whiskey Ginger is brought to you by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about... Am I going to get sued for using that? Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? You were ready to rev. The engine was always warm. Well, now, now it's a little bit tougher to turn that thing over, all right? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com has got it for you. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra Cialis and Levitra but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. A lot of people have heard about Blue Chew. You know what it does. Gets a little bit more blood flow to the boys downstairs in the basement. Huh? They're a little dormant sometimes. You got to wake them up, shake them up. Process is simple. By the way, sign up at bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. It's all done online, man. You don't got to go anywhere. No visits to the doctor's office. No awkward conversations. No waiting in line at a pharmacy. So many men suffer from this problem. It's not a big deal. You want a little bit more juice for the boost, my friends. Uh, it definitely works. I know it myself. I tried it. Boy, oh boy. Gets the old red rocket running hot and heavy. You got to give it a try. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover all your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it, my friends. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WHISKEY. At checkout, just pay $5 for shipping. That ain't nothing, man. You paid more than that for coffee. That's bluechew.com, promo code is whiskey. Bluechew.com, promo code whiskey to receive your first month for free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And I want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Ginger. I like gingers. He, so he, yeah, you know, look, uh, he he doesn't like that stuff. Yep. I think some people really love it. Sure. Some people are like, that's eh, not for me. Man. Yeah, I get it too, by the way. I get but it. But De Niro took it and loved it. Loved, oh, he, oh, he, I'm telling you, Rickles in the middle of a take, the two of them, casino floor, Rickles standing next to him, basically doing nothing. De Niro acting brilliantly, doing the scene. Yeah. Uh, casino floor, hundreds of extras, cameras rolling, 
De Niro, you know, acting beautifully, middle of the take. Rickles would just break and turn on him and go, is that the way you're going to do it? Like that? <laughs> no, no, you got the awards. I'm sure you know what you're doing. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean. And De Niro liked it. He, he, his shoulders went up and, and he, I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's I mean, he hero. really, he wept with tears of laughter every single time. God, I love to hear it. And Rickles just went after him every day. Yeah. So the other sit was with Marty to finish the story. Mr. Scorsese, yeah. Of the two sits. Yes, yes, yes. And it was the photo opposite. I didn't have any opportunity to speak. It was in his trailer on the set of a commercial or something he was shooting. And he talked for 90 minutes and I listened and it was joyous. Wonderful. He was given a lecture about the history of Las Vegas and film. And I could not believe he wasn't going to stop uh, till he decided our time was up. And it was, it was just exceptional. I mean, it was, I couldn't even remember nine-tenths of it. It was just rat-a-tat-tat, nonstop, no breathers, uh, everything. And uh, Nick was writing the book first, and I said, what the fuck are you doing? Put the book down, you're going to write the screenplay. And the book eventually came out, I think it's called The Enforcer. I highly recommend Yeah. about Spalazzo, uh, uh, Nikki. And, uh, but yeah, so that was extraordinary. And then again, I didn't speak because Marty wasn't interested. And then, uh, yeah. That was that. Oh, what about Sharon Stone? Did you have any relationship with her? She was lovely. Um, I don't think I knew her beforehand. Uh, do you know the famous poker game in town, Norby Walters, the horrible uh -uh. one-two game? No. So he would gather the most eclectic, famous show business people, you know, Don Adams, uh, uh, a ridiculous list. of. And so one night at one of those, Sharon Stone dealt me in seven stud, a royal flush. And Norby Walters, an old-time manager who represented Bobby Darren, stops the games, arms up in the air, and yells, that's it, stop the game. He takes a photo of the hand, puts it on the wall. It only happened three times in the whatever many-decade history of the thing. She dealt it to you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Th this will be fun for you. Uh, Don Adams was about, uh, I don't know about you, but for me in my youth, uh, Get Smart was pretty Get much, Smart was great. Pretty much it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Mel Brooks, Buck Henry. It's the geniuses behind it. Um, and Don Adams started as a stand-up. And so he's about an hour late to this game. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, it's Sid Caesar and it's Charles Durning and it's just a ridiculous fucking gathering. And he's walking in. It must have been six months before his death because he's walking in so slow. You just want to call for an ambulance. Uh, it's going to take him 15 minutes to get to the table. from the Wheel door. him in. Yep. But he's walking on his own. And uh, Sharon Stone, who's sitting next to me, we had already done casino, uh, reaches under and pinches my arm. Uh, uh, and says, you don't understand, my production company name is Chaos. I, I've worshipped this man from the moment I saw him. He finally sits down. He speaks almost never. Uh, it's dealer's choice, so the deal rotates around. Um, and, every, you know, it's, it's just kibitzing. It's nonstop kibitzing, storytelling. Yeah. And at the end, maybe two more hours, Eric Roberts... Uh, announces I got a, a early flight to JFK. I got to, I got to go. So sorry, everybody. And he goes on the back of the seats and kisses everybody in the forehead and walks out about 20 minutes later. It's time for Don Adams to deal. And he stands up, which takes a minute <clears throat> and he deals slower than anyone ever has while standing and halfway around this dealing, he says in total silence, is it just me or is Eric, actually better looking than his sister. 
And I'm thinking, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? How long? You sat on that for two hours. Two hours. And and what a deep dive stand-up comedian, pure of heart way of saying, man, that guy's good looking. Yeah, he's so hot. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the way. Yeah, it's that's the, the way. most stand-up comedian's brain, uh, uh, you know, in terms of joke design, I'm going to get these fuckers. I'm going to make a joke about, I think Eric Roberts is funny. How should I? You know what I mean? Took two hours to craft it, stood up. And just laid everybody out. Level the room. And also, you know, again, he hadn't spoken, so nobody saw that coming. Right. Do you do you still touch stand-up or no? Is it something that... Yeah, I did a gig last week in the Philadelphia area. Do you love it as much as you always did or no? Yes. Yeah, I did a... Because you took time away. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I did a documentary, which I would recommend. You should have been in it, clearly. We just didn't know each other. That's okay. Um... It's called a Misery Loves Comedy. Yeah. The premise being, you have to be miserable to be funny? Um, where I talk to, it's a Talking Heads documentary, but it's 60 annoyingly famous funny people talking about making people laugh and what that means. And all the chapters of, you know, Bombs Away, Who's Your Daddy and or Mommy, you know, all the things that a comic goes through. Right. And, um, and, and all the aspects of what that means and, and how, and one of the, Things, the reason I brought it up actually is it comes through that our, all of our most comfortable place in the world is on stage doing stand-up because many reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is it's the only place in our lives where we have control. Even when it seems like there isn't control, we have control. If you know what you're doing, you've been at it a while, you are completely and utterly at the reins of this ride. The audience is going to dictate tempo and your energy flow maybe comes from them. If they're spiky and what have you, they've never met before this group of people. They have, they didn't come to rehearsal. They're doing very well as a group, but it, a boxer has people in his corner. I've always likened it to a prize fighter. We got people in our corner, but when we step in the ring, we live and die moment by moment. Yeah. And we are thriving on instincts and experience. So we're, it's the most in control. You know, the story of how you're sick off stage, you walk on stage, your endorphin flies and you're suddenly you feel well. Good again. You get yeah. off stage and you're immediately sick again. So all those reasons, um, and it's my first love. I'm doing it since I'm 10. So yeah, yeah, I fucking love it. But I never wanted it to feel like a job, even it, when, when it was my only job. Uh, when a lot of guys would go out for six weeks or whatever, I still would do every other weekend or something. I did the road pretty extensively. Um, from like 22 to 30. Um, but again, every, every other weekend, never out, sure. out for a period of time, but I, I do love it. I'll stay away from it for a period of time just to miss it terribly. Uh, this last time I stayed away because of the Mrs. Maisel production schedule. Uh, I stayed away too long. And so when I had this gig, I was like, fuck man, I need to take a look at the notes <laughs> of the last six gigs I did. And figure out what the fuck I'm going to do. Maisel's a great show, by the way. It's uh, It was the version of a show that we tried, we wanted to try to do that worked, that our show did. And we did this I'm Dying Up Here on Showtime and about the world of stand-up. Sure. It was just so tough. It's just such a tough world as a stand-up, too, because everybody had a gun pointed at us. It was like, oh, you're doing a movie about a show about stand-up? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. <clears throat> it was tough. It was didn't really tough. did that one tough. come from a book or yeah. something? Yeah. Yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. Um, and Car Jim Carrey produced yeah, it and yeah. it, it was tough, man. Those things are tough, but like so as, what you guys you, found, the, the thing you found was, um, uh, fiction, first of all. Well, well, but also 
based on so many real people. I think that's an amalgamation of yeah, but but I think you guys were we were too tethered. Liter- we were to too literal. Yeah, history. Yeah, and a history so far removed that only stand-up comedians kind of cared about. Sure. And those stand-up comedians were going to be your worst critics. Well, you, so rooted you were for nobody on our show, and that, that was, was the problem. Yeah, because yeah, comedians are assholes. <laughs> yeah, basically. so we told a great yeah. to, to be to be truthful. British fans fucking love the show, of course, because they're like, yeah, I didn't need a fucking superhero. Yeah, um, yeah, and American audiences really do love that, and I understand it because I agree with it as well. Yeah, but you have heroes on your show, people you want to fucking see win. Well, and our show, you're like. I don't give a shit if all these people <laughs> fail out of nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. fuck them, I yeah. think. I mean, they're – listen, I've, I've been crazy lucky to be involved in a couple of absolute lightning in a bottle situations. I think a lot, if I'm being honest. Well, I'd rather you say it. I think your whole fucking career has been <laughs> – you made so many bangers. It's almost like even if you fucked up a ton, it'll never be known. It, well, yeah. Because the fuck-ups weren't that bad. Not not that many people see the fuck-ups also. But but some people do fuck-ups and it ruins some of their good shit. Sure, but that's also the the, the joy of the character actor. I'm, I never have the responsibility of selling a single ticket. Right. So so my career is, is on to the next one. It's level. not on your shoulders. Never. So, the, yeah, the glory and the and the credit and the blame uh, is going to be the other guys. Yeah, put or, it on those guys. Or women. So, but I meant lightning in a bottle like... I, I say, obviously, Usual Suspects is lightning in a bottle because none of those people were really famous at the time. And people ask me for further proof. I say, you need to look any further than the fact, fact, that Stephen Baldwin is great in the movie. Yeah. If you want to know what kind of lightning in a bottle this is, there's your litmus right there. Yeah. He's phenomenal. He's so, he is so And then good. we're done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the Maisel is firing on uh, every cylinder, every department head is a savant genius at filmmaking, the production designer, the wardrobe, the cinematographer. There's beat, one idiot. Beat Game of Thrones in its last fucking season. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's bonkers. Right. Every... So, yeah, sure, everyone's going to have a couple idiots. But yeah. I'm saying as a, as a working experience of all the ones over the last 40 years, the deck was stacked beyond belief. Yeah, you were in, you were in a good position. And those writers are redonk. And there's almost no reality that we have to simulate um, other than when they feel like it. So not being tethered to that. And also a period piece where you could really be beautiful. It's one of the biggest, if not the biggest export entertainment-wise from America to India in history. And I think it's the Bollywood connection because of the the dancing and the singing and the colors and the palette and the thing and the family. Right. Um it's this worldwide ridiculous fucking zeitgeist bonkersville kind of thing. So it's it's beyond explanation, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. You know, uh, I wasn't in the pilot. I started episode two after the fucking thing had been picked up to two seasons after pilot, which had happened once. And I remember talking to Tony Shalhoub day one, who I'd never met, believe it or not, because you either hire him or me. <laughs> Uh, can't get two shalooms, no, man. You're not getting two shalooms. Uh, and I asked him, you know, because we're shooting the first season. No one had seen anything but the pilot. And I said, you know, what What do you think? And he goes, I think most of the Jews on the Upper West Side will like the show. Not even all of them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. depends how far you go. Yeah. I. So it's just bonkers why this travels the way it does to every age group, through every background and denomination. And what yeah, happened. it worked. It's bonkers, and I think I have a I have a such a crush on uh, 
from a performance crush standpoint on a bore scene, I think Alex is like, she's, she's I think she's one of the greatest. A true savant. And she gets to do dramatic nuances that yeah. someone with those comedy chops almost never gets. Have you ever seen the show Getting On? Sure. I've plugged it on here a million times. That's her favorite. That's my fucking favorite. Yeah. The, the, it was one of those times when a British show is peeled here and we beat it by a mile. I think our, you know, the American version that they made with Niecy Nash and, and Mm -hmm. it's, Lori back half it's leaps and bounds better than wow. the original i think but also i think because she's so she said it was her favorite good. acting job well ever. i if mean you she ever speak to her, her tell her i lie fucking love her and i think she that's it's just she's one of those people like you where you're like man you chameleon through a bunch of fucking great stuff that to me is yeah the ultimate goal and then you did willow which is hilarious to <laughs> me that you're, that's insane and um, Warwick before, is the same age somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. He never, they put him in like a, a timeless vault. I don't know how much crossover there is before we go on to Willow uh, no, uh, no. on the on the Maisel front, how, how much crossover there is on, on your audience and the Maisel audience. But enough. Uh, based on the date of this episode of yours uh, dropping, mm-hmm. I will uh, break a news flash. Do it. Uh, right here. My right. Mrs. Maisel pod. Uh, I've already recorded 30 episodes and um what is it called my mrs mazel pod my mrs mazel pod yeah get it wherever you get podcasts yeah are you is it only audio or are you shooting it as well uh just audio but we it's an episode breakdown rewatch awesome and and every you know actors directors writers uh cinematographer uh wardrobe everything all the savants that made this thing magical uh we break down the insights and back that's awesome yeah because i just I I saw I was hip to the fact that there were a couple of fan based uh, fan created podcasts, and so while we were shooting the last season, I thought, oh, I think people are going to not really want this thing to end, and I think they're not going to be able to really let go. Yeah, the fan base that we've been meeting over the years, um, and so yeah, very excited. My Mrs. Maisel Pod. My Mrs. Maisel Pod. Go listen to that yeah. after this. That's was it. Your idea or their idea? Mine. You were like, I want to do this, and they tip the hat to you. Not even sanctioned by Amazon. Well, what are they going to (laughs) do? Come get me, Bezos. Well, I'm done working for them. And my agent said, are you sure? And I said, even if I am really done working for them, I had a hell of a run, a historical run. Yeah, it was pretty great. I don't need any more Bezos money. I'd like more. (laughs) Nah, give me some more money, Jeff. But I'll I'll be fine. I just Uh, did an Amazon movie, and it's so funny. They don't, I don't. You know, they were like, oh, it might come out in theaters. And I was like, oh, really? And they're like, we have no idea. I'm like, do anybody, does anybody talk? I don't think anybody over there is, I think it's like, that's such a big company that they're like, yeah, we'll just, we'll see what happens, I guess. We loved you in Charlie's movie, by the way. We just saw it two days ago. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen you the newest pop. cup. You pop beautifully. Yeah. Charlie Dave uh, has a new movie out, uh, by the directed way. That he's just wonderful. He's, I love him so much. And, and I, I text, Ken is so funny, man. He, he's just a, Charlie's a, just a masterful filmmaker, and that's really the calling card of that. That's film. why he got so many people that really wanted to do it. Sure, it's a pretty good testament to your uh, yeah. to your friend's faith when you get so many huge people to be a part of something. Yeah, he he did and deserved, and everyone loves. Why can't I think? Fool's Charlie. Paradise, right? Yeah, yeah, Fool's Paradise. Um, I want to. I I got. I digress so many times, but there was a years ago. I had heard that you had a bowling, like a secret bowling league. Is that true? Not true. Were you in, were you ever a part of some kind of bowling league? I w- I wouldn't call it a league. I was part of a bowling gathering. Um, I'm not a great bowler. 
Somebody uh, said it was a secret cabal where you guys sacrifice children. Well, that part's true. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you wanted to know about the bowling. <laughs> That's pre-party? Yeah, no. The, we. There was always a rumor because I'm a, I am love bowling and people were always like, you know, Pollux has this. Uh, oh, what? I swear to God. That's In the comedy community, bonkers. people would talk about it. and Maybe I, would, I shouldn't kibosh this. Maybe I should just let the story go on. Well, I went one time I to. I mean, we killed kids. You did? For sure. Well, did they deserve it? Uh, most well, of them. Yeah. Most of them. Pricks. But it was at the Hollywood or the yes. Roosevelt or whatever. Yes. yes. There's a there's a single lane? Two lanes. Two lanes. And I went one night as a friend of someone. But I was just invited. It, I was not in charge of that fucking I feel like thing. That, now, let's just say it was yours. Yep. It was, it was wasn't it? was it? mine. But you're not a good bowler. I love to bowl, but I'm not a good bowler. My, uh, uh, Jamie, her name is Jamie. My better half, Jamie, and I have been together 15 years. She's considerably younger. I raised her as one of my own. She was corn fed. <laughs> uh, Free range? We, yes. Yeah. Please. We we love to bowl and and um, if we hit like a one fifty, we're excited beyond the moon. But we we wanted to be at least conscious of what was happening, so we took lessons. We and the first thing at the lesson says you got to have your own ball, you got to have your own shoes. Don't you know? So we have our own ball, we have our own shoes, and so people think, oh, these people must know what they're doing. We don't. Uh, uh, we love it. Yeah, me too. Truly. Yeah, me too. And it's one of the few things where. I don't need to score well. I just need to do it. Yeah, I just want to do it. I just need to do it. Uh, two things that came to my mind. One, it's amazing that you're such a seasoned, talented actor who's never taken a lesson, but you have taken bowling lessons, which is <laughs> fucking hysterical to me. Well, I care. <laughs> no, I love it so much. <laughs> awesome. And 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 two, uh, there is something about the guy who shows up with his own ball immediately earns such a higher level of, oh, well, this guy must be... Something special. And I, and I, and it, Even I, if you're fucking around, they're like, he must be just goofing around. I instantly bring a disclaimer. You say Because I'm, I'm afraid sure. of those moments. I'm right. afraid of that alleged intimidation. I make it crystal clear. We took lessons and we were told to buy our ball and our shoes. We don't know what we're doing. But still, you, it, the, the I've had some turkeys you know. in my day. Yeah. Oh, yes, I have. What's the highest score you've dropped? Not impressive at all. Truly no. not. No. 180. Uh, it's just not impressive at all in any in any. I love to roll me some stones, man. Well, I'm sure I feel like you're not only athletic, but a competitive and a natural at any sport you decide <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get good at. This. I'm pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Bowling and bar games coming from Chicago. You've hit 250. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I have. Yep. Yeah. A couple of times. I Coming from Chicago, it's almost like the only thing we love is indoor skill set games because most of the year you got to be inside. Makes sense. So darts, shuffleboard, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Pool. I'm not great at pool, but I love pool bowling. All that stuff is like I love knickknacky bar games. Sure. Anything you can have a drink and also participate in, yeah. I think is heaven on earth. I get it because it has seven months indoors. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And if, even when it starts to get nice, it fucking rains again. That's right. It's like my dad. <laughs> my parents are just like, "Oh, it's beautiful here tomorrow." They're like, "Fucking Chicago. <laughs> it's miserable." You know. But also, that's why Chicago uh, was the first city I went to. I think when I, when I heard a local say. <clears throat> If you don't like the weather, wait 20 minutes. It does feel like uh, you can get a good shift, but then when it's bad, it's... Because they might be saying, wait 20 minutes, it's going to get fucking way worse. Yeah. I've only felt more intense when at a very specific corner in Winnipeg, which is known world over yeah. as the windiest, coldest corner uh, in North Winnipeg. In, in the, I've never I've never been. I've been all oh, over Canada, but I've never Jesus. been to Winnipeg. I wrote about it in my book, How I Slept My Way to the Middle. Uh, it's the coldest I've ever been to this day. In fact, if I 
get a script and it opens with exterior night, that's a hard pass. <laughs> that's, dude, I, I know that's so funny. I just read something today on the plane and I'm not, I don't want to say, but <laughs> the first scene was a thing where I go, I don't want to fucking shoot that. Like immediately <laughs> I think of like, I'm going to be wet and cold. No, I don't want to fucking yeah. be in a pond in the middle. Like yeah. <laughs> immediately my first thought, I like almost like put down my iPad, like, well, I don't want to do that. How can they get around? I me? tried to talk myself out of on a zoom meeting with a writer director with this very sort of situation on this other script. And she said, we're shooting day for, uh, night for day now. So, or day for night, day for night. Yeah. yeah. So you, you don't have to worry about it. Great. Uh, we'll be in a garage, not outside. Great. I said, Oh, let's keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> Add more elements. We <laughs> yeah. did. And this movie I just did, we were, they were like, we have to go in this pond and the scene we're shooting is, uh, um, uh, we're like cleaning up uh, waste or whatever. It's like a, and it's a montage scene. And so no dialogue. No, that's helpful. I know. But they mic packed us and they wrapped them in condoms just in case you pick something up. You know, oh, like the, the lovely Christ. sound guys are always like, just in case. And you're like, this is a, this will be a, this, they won't even use this fucking shot. I promise. So of course we get in there and <laughs> I turned to one of the actors and I was like, do you think anybody like testing this pond water to make sure like we should be in this? And they were like, yeah. Did anybody make sure like this is okay? Were you in for Hoboken? Where in the this? fuck were you? That you were worried We were in about Australia, the- down in Australia. Oh. Yeah, we were down in Australia. Well, there were creatures in that water that could have killed you. That's in what nine I meant. Seconds. I was like, did anybody test to make sure this is like a safe place for us to be? And I wasn't worried about like, I was like, is this, is this okay? And then of course, uh, one of the guys like, nah, mate, you're fine. Yeah. I was like, who's that guy? Yeah. And they were like, he's, I don't, I think he's one of the D- Dundee's grandchild. <laughs> yeah. I think he's one of the managers of the property. I was like, oh, oh yeah, sure. Okay. He's selling tours. Great. Yeah. 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 The guy who we paid to be here. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's going to be like, nah, everything's all right. My, my first movie where I felt I was being invited into the actual world of acting is Barry Levinson's Jew saga called Avalon. And, and it's actually called Barry Levinson's Jew Saga Avalon. On the one sheet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so well, I found out working on it that Barry's one of the funniest people ever and started as a stand-up comedian. Him and Craig T. Nelson were a comedy team. Craig T. Nelson did, did stand-up? They were a comedy team in the 60s coffee houses. Holy shit. And he told me the funniest fucking bit they did uh, and remind me to come back to the moment when uh, I, I, I'm, I'm Barry Levinson is one of the funniest people yeah. And his take on Australia. Okay. And so he he and, he and Craig T. Nelson in the 60s coffee houses where, you know, there's a lot of acoustic duos and a comedian here and there, beat poet, like in The Gaslight in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And so Craig T. and Barry were just so uh, off-put by these uh, self-involved, self-loving uh, acoustic guitar acts that just drove them fucking crazy. The self-important bullshit. And their lyrics were garbage. So they said, let's go out as a acoustic guitar act. No one knows who we are. Right. We'll just let now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Barry and Craig. And we went out and we had acoustic guitars. Very sincere. Hi, hi folks. Nice to, nice to be here. Um, we'd like to play our, our, a new song for you. It's called, uh, tonight. I love you. Hope you enjoy. And they look at each other and they tune up. Ding, 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 ding. And they both address the mics and they open their mouths and then they stop and look back at each other. Ding, 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 ding. And they tune up for nine minutes. <laughs> they just do that for nine minutes. Nothing comes And he out. said the first three minutes, the audience laughed as if it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen in their lives. Yeah. The middle three minutes, they wanted to set us on fire. Yes. They absolutely hated but us. But 
That last three, baby. We would look. We would stare at each other during the uh, middle three. One of us was about to crack. Like I can't. I can't get to that last third, man. You got it. They're gonna kill us. Yeah. And and they just hung in there, and then that last third came back around, and you're the funniest people who ever lived. That's brilliant. That this that was brilliant. still going on. Yeah, that's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So that, his take on Australia, he was yeah. funny every day on the set. Like I was doing a lot of Letterman's back then. And I remember I had one coming up and he would just say shit like, um, I'm, uh, uh, I think I may have figured out a way to, to save uh, the Coca-Cola bottling company half a billion dollars. So what are you talking about? Well, and we're in director chairs waiting for the lighting change, right? Well, I and my son, uh, Jack, he's five. We're walking down the, 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 uh, supermarket aisle and uh, my five-year-old son says hey dad i want diet coke i said diet coke why do you want diet coke you're five he said no no it uh it's less than a calorie so i want diet coke this is some bullshit he heard on television so no one gives a shit that it's less than one calorie just save the paint that it takes to paint the cans and the two words less than just commit to the one calorie. You're going to sell as many fucking Diet Cokes as you are with less than. Just don't paint less than. There you go. You're welcome. Half a billion dollars. I'm just shit like that every day. And I would go, I'm doing Letterman. Give me that fucking bit. That's yeah. hilarious. So one day he says, Australia, you ever been? No, don't go. Everything will kill you. Everything over. They got a, they got a snake that cannot run a cheetah. <laughs> kill you. They got a, sp a spider that will crawl inside your brain and suck it out. They got, there's a host, there's a host uh, beetle uh, that uh, gets picked up by a, a rat and uh, carried around for 16 years and finally gives birth to an orangutan. <laughs> It'll kill you. You know, just endless. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Hated, hated Australia. Oh, Philly, right? Philly guy? Close, Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. Baltimore. Balmer. Yeah, Baltimore. Yeah. I loved Australia. I Well, of course. I fucking loved it. But also... There was all that stuff. Friends were like, what are spiders? I've heard of the size of notebooks. And you get out there and just as you suspected, you see fucking none of that stuff. Yeah. I golfed every day. We had one day off. You know, every day I could sneak a day off. I would dip out. He it, means it, every week when he says every day we had a day off. He means every day I had a day off. I barely was in the fucking movie. No, but what, we would shoot six days a week, which sure. was kind of a bummer because you were like, oh, I got to sneak one day to go drive far to get a course and then come back. And every time I was like, okay, I'm out in the, I'm out in the thing. I'm bound to see some shit. Yeah. If this is where the crocodiles are coming. I'm seeing It's them. out on the fairway. Nothing. Didn't see a one. Kangaroos you see everywhere and they can't fucking stand them. Not a single one can box. No, I tried. I fought three, four of them. They fucking knocked them out. They stink, and everybody hates them. It's funny. Every, we think they're, like, cute down there. They're like, uh, they, they outnumber Australians three to one, which is comical. Holy fuck. They're everywhere. And also— I mean, there's a lot more landmass than people. I ate people. them. Sure you did. Uh, and people back here are like, what? And you're like, no, no, no. Nobody eats it there. It's almost like a uh, there's a there's a, a liquor in Chicago called Malort. Are you familiar with Malort? I've heard of it. Malort is something we give to people kind of as a welcome to Chicago, fuck you. Oh. It's— awful sure it's atrocious mm -hmm. it tastes like pine needles rotted inside of a vat of like acid mm -hmm. and somebody pissed in it and at the last second yes and that's kind of what kangaroo was there that they were like no you got to try it, mate and you do and it's gamey and i actually kind of didn't mind it but i learned that that was kind of them being like oh yeah you gotta get kangaroo but nobody really eats it. But they have it available at a lot of places. Interesting. Almost as like a, 
I don't know. It's kind of like how Wisconsin has to put on eight ounces of cheese on everything. No matter what. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Like it has to exist, but yeah, but I enjoyed it a lot. I just didn't find any of these weird threatening things. I kind of wanted to see some crazy shit. Nothing, Mm -hmm. not one. And the animal rights movement towards save the kangaroo in Australia is pretty much. They killed all those people off. Well, there's, you know, it's it's so funny that, you know why there's so many of these fucking things? Because there are no predators. That's why the dodo bird lasted oh, another thousand right. years. It should have died like 10,000 years ago. There's nothing there to kill these things. Except for us. And multiple times they've brought, an, people have brought animals in to kill things and then they get rid of those. Yeah. But it's like, just let them kill off some shit. Yeah. Like we went to the March of the Penguins down there where they come on the beach and it oh, was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Until but, the. Well, there's no, but there's no wolves or anything. There's nothing to fucking snag them. And I hate to say it, but once in a while, it'd be nice to see a wolf just, you know take one out get in there yeah that's the that's mix it up yeah that well that's how i love my, bowling yes you get the concept yeah i know i like it yeah, heard it take it out kill it's tiny hit it it's, uh, golf it's small hit it i yep. have to hit whatever's tiny low to the ground i have to hit um two things yep one i want to thank you very graciously for coming on this show uh you're you're wonderful i did see you that night that i went to the bowling alley and i didn't say anything to you you did see me you were there. Yeah, you were there that night. This was years ago. This was years ago. Yeah, it ago. had to have been years ago because I know how long it's been since I've been and there. I, and I, it's been forever. And I didn't say anything to you because I don't – there's that weird conversation of like uh, – Were we in the same lane? No, no. Oh. I was I was at the bar. Ah. I went with some friends. Okay. And yeah, um, it looked like quite the scene at the bar on the way out. I always loved that. Yeah, sure. I, I, that sure. bar was always a sneak, cool little spot. And uh, yeah, and I should have said something, but you always have that moment of like, I'm a comedian, you're a comedian, blah, blah, blah. And, but then I don't want to go back to the moment with De Niro in the hotel room, <laughs> right? Our whole lives are predicated upon how do I let this you know, person You've also know? now been that, been the, the, the more famous guy who gets a comedian coming up to you and says, I'm a comedian love too. It. Love it. Yeah, of course. I do love it. And but we're always nervous s- on the other side. Right. We're always nervous on the other side. I don't yeah. care how big you are, how small you are, how I hope, big they are. I hope even more than Pollock has a cabal of bowlers. There's the word out there on the street that I'm fairly gracious. People when you do come say up nice and things. Say hi. People do say nice things. Or, so what he's trying to say is, if you know him, <laughs> say hi. If you don't, get the fuck away from him. Oh, let's be clear. I'm not a big fan of people in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, but if you have a connective tissue, like Seinfeld's always like, any. I can meet a comedian around the world and be. I'd talk to him if they were, yeah, you know, couldn't speak English. We'd sit and just stare at each other for a while. Yeah. Um, but I thank you. I hope the the cabal picks back up at some point. We'll have to get back out there and start rolling stones. Um, please listen to my Mrs. Maisel, my Mrs. Maisel pod right now. Go download it right now. My Mrs. It's Maisel on pod. the Instagram. It's wherever it's you everywhere find you these get a podcast. Things. You kids know where to get it. Um, we end the episode the same way. Mm. Uh, you look into that camera right there Hello. and you say one word or one phrase. Usually it used to be a word years ago. And then people are like, I don't know one word. So one phrase, if you'd like to end the episode, could be a joke, could be just a little phrase, could be a tip. Uh, this is going to be embedded in the Smithsonian in history forever. At some point, all the one word or one phrases of whiskey ginger podcast, whenever you're ready into that camera. Okay. So Alan Arkin's son, Tony Arkin and his father, Alan play a game called one word impressions where you do an impression of someone using only one word. And it can't be a word that that person's famous for saying that's cheating. Mm-hmm. And then you realize the trick really is to find a multi-syllabic word to give you more time to ah, get the impression across. Yes. So because he's so popular these days, I'll go out as Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> um, carburetor. <laughs> Shine. 
here we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me five dollars for the whiskey and seventy-five dollars for the horse. Gingers are hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers.